It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. Cork's greatest hits. C103. And good morning. Lines open 0818103103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Welcome to Wednesday's Cork Today ahead on the programme. And really sad and tragic news yesterday evening uh, from Fountaintown when it emerged that an eight-year-old girl had drowned off the Cork coast. We'll be speaking very shortly to Paul Byrne, who was there for Virgin Media News yesterday evening on the beach in Fountaintown. Also, another South Dock under the spotlight this time once again. It's Blackpool with one Cork North Central TD fearing that they're trying to close the centre by the back door. We're going to speak with Sinn Féin Deputy Thomas Gould on the issue. We also have heard from callers in other areas of Cork where they feel their South Dock service is under threat and they have worries on the future of the service uh, that across the show. Also, so much talk on road safety this week and we've been contacted by one Cork County councillor who wants to raise the issue of safety concerns with our roads from an infrastructure point of view uh, what can be done and of course staying on roads uh, we hearing this morning that speed limits across national local and indeed rural roads and urban roads uh, they're going to be majorly overhauled and this is an aim uh, to address a spike in accidents and fatalities over the summer months so it would seem now that motorists will have to slow down by 20 kilometres per hour on many roads under new limits, which will see a maximum speed allowed on national secondary roads drop from 100k to 80k. Now, when they say national secondary roads, uh, I'm not 100% sure what they mean by that. I do think that maybe the Cork to Mallow Road, for example, the Bandon to Cork Road, that will remain at 100k. Uh, but if you travel from, for example, abandoned to the Manway. Some parts of that road are 80k. So we'll have to get a certain clarification on what they mean by that. But regarding the, uh, I suppose, more rural roads that are usually 80k, well, some will say for most of those roads, it's impossible anyhow to get to 80k, but the sign does say 80k on them. A lot of those now will be cut from 80 to 60 kilometres per hour. And also the urban roads, including built up areas around housing estates and town centres, that will drop to 30k. We can see that happening 
as it is anyway and arterial roads and uh, uh, roads in and around urban areas maybe cutting through housing estates uh, they'll also be reduced to 50k so uh, big changes on the way regarding speed your views are welcome on that and we'll be discussing that and more with Councillor Declan Hurley later in the programme and we'll be staying on road safety because we're going to hear an invention from a abandoned company for trucks and this is a device that fits on the side of a truck and prevents a pedestrian or indeed a bike user who may be involved in an accident from falling under the truck. We've heard so much of this of late as well uh, and many HGVs and trucks, they've no choice but to drive through towns and villages because of lack of uh, road uh, road bypasses and infrastructure so they have no choice and because of that there can be accidents, people can be uh, going about their business but sometimes we do hear of, and you hear it in the news of somebody who was crossing a road or on a bike and they fall off the bike or fall off the footpath and end up under a truck uh, resulting in death for, uh, for a lot of the, of the time unfortunately and because of this, this new device basically will prevent anybody who may be involved in that type of an accident from ending up under the truck. We'll have more on that later from the company involved. And following a report issued by CyberSafe Kids, and this is discussing cyberbullying, we're going to hear how 25% of primary school children and 40% of secondary school students face cyberbullying on a daily basis. Interesting more so for girls. And one of the reasons for this is because girls will upload more videos of themselves to social media sites rather than boys. We'll be speaking with CyberSafe Kids on that later in the programme. And also after 12.30, we'll be going gardening your gardening questions are welcome for Peter Doddall the irishgardener.com he'll join us after 12.30 so that and more to come on the programme this morning your views are welcome you can email us across the show corktoday at c103.ie but a post-mortem is due to be carried out on an eight-year-old girl who drowned after getting into difficulty off Fontanstown yesterday afternoon Paul Burns Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News joins me good morning to you Paul good morning JP Gardaí and Emergency Services be began the search operation at around 4.30 yesterday afternoon. That's right. Uh, this little girl and her pals were swimming uh, just off the beach in Fountainstone yesterday. Uh, when they got into difficulty, uh, her friends uh, left the water and unfortunately this little eight-year-old girl just wasn't strong enough to cope with whatever happened and she was swept out to sea. It's what happened here yesterday, JP, is every parent's worst nightmare. The scene yesterday was one of total despair, um, just to see the father of that little girl standing on the shoreline, being comforted by friends, waiting on news uh, on his little angel, um, was just heartbreaking to watch. Here we had a family enjoying the sunshine one minute, and the next minute, their little daughter was the focus of a major search and rescue became uh, a recovery operation. It was just heartbreaking to watch the scenes there yesterday. There was a flotilla of boats on the water. There was firefighters and crew members and Coast Guard personnel up in the water, wading through the water up to their necks. They were doing all they could to try and find that girl alive. But unfortunately, the outcome was a tragic one. Um, You know, the shoreline uh, was dotted with people who were looking for this little girl in the car park um, and and on the side of the beach. People were there in their droves. But despite the noise, uh, only the noise from the helicopter uh, could really be heard. Everyone else 
was in total silence. Those who could help were in the water. Those who wanted to help and couldn't were standing there just doing all they could to pray that this little girl would be found alive. Paul, beautiful weather yesterday. Temperatures around 25 to 26 degrees. People flocking to the beaches across the Cork coastline. And Fountaintown can be a busy spot in weather like this. Parking can be tight in places. So I'd imagine at around 4.30, a lot of action underway when the emergency services were trying to get out and search for this girl. Yeah, I mean, when the sun shines, it's like a magnet. People do flock to the beach. Um, But the emergency services... They're just, they have to be commended for what they did and what they do every day, no matter who is uh, in trouble. They do all they can to help that person. Sometimes the outcomes are good. Unfortunately, in this case, it's a bad outcome. Um, But they arrived, they just, you know, into the water without um, questions, out in there, across the rocks. It was just, you know, I'm not exaggerating, but it was like something you might see in a movie. And, you know, the whole shoreline dotted with people frantically searching for this little girl. Um, They left no stone unturned. They weren't going away last night. If, you know, they would have kept searching um, until it uh, got dark. They, They were not leaving. And thankfully, in one sense, this might sound strange, JP, but thankfully we're not back there today. Thankfully, the little girl's body was recovered and they have some form of closure. But to watch the father there last night, as I said, just looking out there at the teams of personnel looking for his daughter, you just can't imagine. Maybe what was this man thinking? Was he thinking the last time he kissed his daughter, gave her a hug? Was he thinking of her birthdays? Was he thinking of the day she was born, the day she was christened? All these thoughts obviously running through this man's mind last night. Um it's just heartbreaking to watch. I mean, you, you just can't imagine. And I mean, as somebody has once said to me in the, 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 the emergency services, the water at times can be a very, very cruel mistress. It can be gorgeous. You can have lots of fun. But unfortunately, it can change in a moment. We just don't know what happened there yesterday. Fountainstone in general is a very safe place. But for some untold and unknown uh, reason yesterday, things went dramatically wrong. And this little girl who no doubt is looking down on her family this morning and they have an angel. But unfortunately, she lost her life there yesterday. And very sad for the entire community there also this morning, Paul. I mean, she would have been getting up and going to school. Yeah, and her pals have to go into school today. I'm sure uh, eight years of age, she must have been just going into maybe uh, first class, um, junior in, or senior infants, I suppose, uh, maybe. And her pals will be there this morning, or no doubt some of their mums and dads telling them this morning what happened. And the teachers will have to deal with this in a very most most delicate manner as well today. And I'm sure prayers will be said across the, the county for this little girl this morning. It's like um, Crosshaven or Fountainstone. You know, she lives less than 10 minutes from where this tragedy happened yesterday. It's a very close-knit community. For those who don't know, Crosshaven is about... A half an hour, our Fountainstone is just outside Crosshaven, which is a half an hour's drive from Cork. Um, again, lots of people out there yesterday enjoying themselves. They they went home safe and sound, but unfortunately, one family was left grieving yesterday. And for that area of South Cork, Paul, there's been a lot of tragedy involving young people in recent times. We had the incident in Passage West. We also had another incident over the summer in Carrigaline. Yeah, it's, um, that you know, the little boy was knocked down there uh, some weeks ago in Carrigaline. 
you had the boy Jack uh, Jack O'Sullivan who was just 14 out enjoying uh, his a day out with his pals in off swimming off a pontoon in Passage West uh, due to return to school the following day um, unfortunately he lost his life in a drowning accident and you had the two men who lost their lives while taking part in the Ironman competition in Yall uh, I think just around a fortnight ago you know, there's been a cloud of grief over the, the region in the past month and um, nobody knows. There's lots of questions and will we ever know the answers? I don't know. OK, indeed, a very sad, very sad morning for the community and our sympathies to that young girl's family, her friends and all her classmates this morning. For the moment, Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much indeed, JP. Take care. That is Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News. On that tragic news from Fountainstown yesterday, uh, somebody on text saying the water can be evil. It can indeed. I mean, we've spoken to fishermen over the years who have had themselves uh, tragic circumstances off our coastline here in Cork. And many of them will say, while the water can be beautiful and can be very calming in ways, it can also turn into a monster. And many would uh, would say that from the fishing community and also Fimber in Mal- says he wants to offer his condolences to the family of that little girl. So sad and tragic. May she rest in peace. The little angel says Fimber in Mallow. And thank you for your text on that. On the way, we're going to be hearing about the concern there is on South Dock services across Cork. But a mother has got in contact with us this morning and her child plays GAA and she's looking for advice on this. Anybody who has somebody in the GAA clubs in Cork or indeed that plays G may have more details on this for this mother. Uh, her child got injured recently uh, with the GA in a game, I presume, and they needed medical treatment and physio. And she presumed the GA may look after the expenses or some of the expenses. And she's asking, do GAA clubs cover expenses if your child is injured within a game? Now, her son needed physio and was never reimbursed from this club for physio. Yeah, she also went along because her to the dentist, her son needed dental treatment, but again, got nothing back uh, from the club or the GA for both the physio or indeed the dental treatment. And she wants to know, is there a general rule among GA a clubs regarding medical expenses or are the rules different depending on the player or indeed depending on the club itself. Anybody out there can shed some light for this mother who was talking to Bernie earlier on this morning and basically could have gone down a different route and maybe got some of the money back from either private health insurance or another route but was presuming the GA would cover some aspect of the expenses, if not all of the expenses. So if you play J or you are a player or involved in a J club, what is the situation if someone gets injured? Are the J responsible? Are they supposed to pay the medical expenses or some part of that? Uh, let us know. Uh, you can call Bernie on 0818 103 103 R&D text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Court today on C103. And just on the mother who was asking advice regarding her son who was injured in a GA game. I do presume he was injured playing a GA game. A number of people have been back to us on that. First of all, a lot asking, is that child a member of the GA club? And because she's asking, I would presume he is. And yes, he is a member of a GA club. And a lot of people are figuring this could be the answer because they feel that 
uh, the child's getting hurt if it's within a GA game from what this parent uh, feels anyhow on the situation that she feels the GA are not responsible for anybody getting hurt during a game or indeed any activity that you play at your own risk. That's what this person's thinking of. We have more calls and comments coming in regarding this so we'll give it back to that uh, shortly on the programme but if anybody is in no uh, for this uh, mother whose child was injured in a GA game and needed physio and indeed needed dental treatments but when she went about getting expenses back from her local GA club uh, they haven't given anything back and she's wondering is there a general rule among GA clubs regarding medical expenses you can let us know text or WhatsApp 0862103103 or call Bernie on uh, 0818103103 now, we'll get back to the issue of South Dock later in the programme, uh, but I want to go to another issue uh, that we have been discussing all week and it's still making news this morning by way of speed limits because over the past two days we have been inundated with comments with regards to roads and safety on our roads, many still pointing the figure to, uh, finger towards road conditions. And Councillor Declan Hurley was listening to the programme yesterday. He contacted us and he joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Declan. Good morning, JP. And thanks for joining us. You're still chair of the Council's Roads and Transports Committee, are you? That's right, yeah, for the remainder of what's left in the Council. So within this, uh, your role there, first of all, and your role as a local councillor, you're calling for further investment, as many do, on the upgrading of our roadways. I mean, it's well reported that Cork is underfunded when it comes to the road network. And this is evident if you travel across Ireland. So many examples from people this week who were angry that if they leave Cork or they've gone on staycations, that they feel the roads are better. There's more motorways outside of Cork than within Cork. Uh, So when you look at the funding distribution model, it does seem unfair that Cork, the largest county, still, despite all the roaring and shouting done over the last five years by councillors and politicians, we get similar to the smaller counties, uh, which would be in the border areas. Yeah, that's correct, uh, John Paul. And um, I suppose if you put it into context, uh, if we were to be getting uh, a reasonable allocation of road funds since 2008, um, like this year, we got 71 million uh, to invest in our, our local and regional roads. If we were to get um, the allocation we should have been getting for the last 15, 20 years, we would have an additional 273 million invested into our roads. So I think that paints the picture in relation to the, the extent of, um, I think, neglect that our roads have gone into. And it's been, a, we've been shouting and, and roaring since we put this council, uh, for, since this council formed five years ago. And we are at pains trying to get a meeting with the Minister for Transport to raise this issue and he's just completely and blatantly ignoring us. He won't even respond or acknowledge our request or our request to meet with him. So like if the, the government certainly have to sit up here and apply a common sense approach. Uh, roads are in a dangerous condition, as your listeners will know. And uh, until we get adequate funding, our roads are going to continue to be dangerous and they, will be, they are a factor in causing serious and fatal accidents. And many would agree with you why speed is a factor and there's other reasons as well. The roads, dangerous junctions and a lot more are contributing to accidents on the road. But, but why can a Minister for Transport then just ignore local councils or ignore local politicians who are trying to raise this issue, who are trying to save lives on a road, and a Transport Minister will just ignore them? I mean, that doesn't really make a lot of sense for, from a Minister that, that is supposed to invest in our roads. 
I, I think, uh, John Paul, this minister set down his uh, his programme for government um, when the government was formed. Um, and certainly we got an indication at that stage that rural roads were nowhere on his list of priorities. It was cycleways. It was um, walkways, greenways, I should say, and uh, uh, bus lanes. They seem to be his priority. We here in West Cork and North Cork and other parts of the county don't have that luxury of walking out and getting on the Lewis or getting a bus. We have a road network that we need to do our daily, to get about our daily business um, from um, a personal point of view and from a business point of view. And I I think it's, it's just a poor reflection on this government that a minister can ignore calls from a local authority, the largest in, in the country with the largest network of roads we're not asking to meet with him just for the sake of it we have serious concerns there's issues to be addressed and the only way we can do that is meet with the minister uh, face to face and outline the concerns we have and make uh, a plea for extra funding because until we get extra funding this is going to continue and it's not fair on the general public who are paying their their road tax there's a hundred million leaving this county uh, every year and it's it's not being put back into the roads where it should be you mentioned rural roads there are a lot of people say not only the uh, rural roads or back roads as we call them, the main roads have not been upgraded. I mean, if you look at the Cork to Mallow Road or the N71, the Cork to Skibbereen Road, a lot would agree that we are driving on roads now that were built and suitable for the 1970s, but because of the increase in traffic, because of house prices, people have moved out here from the city areas to county areas, but travelling back into the city for work, the roads haven't been upgraded to deal with that. They haven't. Like, and obviously, speed speed is a contributing factor. Mo- using a mobile phone while driving is a contributing factor. Driver behaviour is, is a factor. Weather conditions are a factor. But the one other factor that's not being considered here is the condition of our roads. Our roads, as you say, have got busier. Trucks have got bigger. Um, cars have got bigger, more powerful. And like I've travelled, I travel a lot of road over the course of my own work. Like, and as you say, the N71, the N22, they're in appalling conditions. There's actually creators in roads that if you if you hit one of them, you can actually lose control of your car. You can have a blowout, which will result in you losing control of your car. I travelled um, the N22 there uh, the evening before last, and at the best of times, it was like a, an obstacle course, swerving to avoid craters in the middle of the road and traffic on the other side, again, doing the same thing. So if you have two cars swerving to avoid a crater in a road at the same time, there is your potential for a serious head-on accident. Yeah, and I mean, we see that daily with people texting us in and sending us videos of photos of potholes on our roads and cars swerving onto oncoming traffic, as you explained. And you're right, while we talk about speed and mobile phones, they're a huge issue. But for some reason, the conditions of our roads never get mentioned. And while some feel then if we upgrade our roads, you are giving people a platform to speed. What do you say to those who make that argument? I think, look, certainly I suppose the, the move now that the government are making to reduce speed limits, that, that's welcome. That's something that can, I suppose, certainly go some way in making our roads safer. Um, reducing speed limits um, is, is a factor. But I think a lot of it, uh, John Paul, is, is driver attitude. And perhaps we need to look at educating uh, our younger generation coming up through uh, their, their school years as to how to 
I suppose, drive safely and, and be aware of, of the, the risks of uh, tra- driving at, at high speed. Because I, certainly since I see since the pandemic, since the pandemic, the attitude out there on the roads um, has changed. And I think that is one of the factors is that we've just kind of, I suppose, lost our, our common sense when it comes to, to driving at, at high speeds and faster speeds on, on poorer road conditions. And Declan, you mentioned there about the uh, new speed limits. Uh, we are going to see that motorists will have to slow down by 20k, it would seem, in, in many areas. Uh, one uh, thing that uh, people are confused about this morning is this national secondary road drop from 100 kilometres an hour to 80 kilometres an hour. I know they mention rural roads from 80 to 60 and some agree with that and indeed urban areas 50 to 30. And again, people can see the, the reason for that. But when they say secondary national routes, I mean, what exactly or what roads are they talking about here? I mean, are they the main in 71, your main uh, Cork to McCroom road or, or, or where are we talking about? Well, like obviously your national roads are the N71s, the N22s, the N73s, they're all the, the national routes. But then when you come down to your uh, regional roads and your secondary roads, I suppose the best example I can give you, John Paul, is say if you're going from Bandon to Dunmanway via Ballin in the skiing, that's your, your secondary road. So it's it's the next level down from your national route, from your in, from your in national route. So, again, it's the road that we use on a daily basis. Again, a lot of heavy commercial trucks would use that corridor into West Cork. And there's many of those roads around the, the county. So they're just, uh, I suppose, the next level down from your from your national route. So, again, I, I, I'm not sure that is the right way to go. I can understand reducing from 120 down to 100. But like if you go from, say, 100 road down to 80 or 80 to 60, are you going to be increasing commuter time, making it more frustrating for road users who are trying to get to work or to get to a meeting or something? I, I just don't know. Is, is that going a step too far? But in the short term, possibly it's a quick fix measure. Um, but I think we have to look at all aspects and consider all avenues where we can, I suppose, look at making roads safer for our um, motorists. That road you mentioned there to Demanway, I mean, most of that at the moment is 80k anyhow, but onwards can be up to 100k to Bantry. But Siobhan is asking, do you think this is a knee-jerk reaction and and a wrong aspect or a wrong way to deal with this? I think it is. I think that the government are maybe jumping out just to obviously try and and remedy a solution to it. Um, The problem one of the problems I see is that the government have neglected our, our infrastructure uh, over many. I'm in the council. This is my 20th year and we've had this issue for the last 20 years and beyond. Um, when they closed the, the West Cork Railway back in the early 60s, they promised us better roads. That never happened. So you have a, if you have 50 years plus of our road infrastructure um, not getting um, proper investment. And that is one of the issues. And again, Another point uh, that we always discussed uh, at length on, on, on your show and Patricia's show, JP, is the hedge cutting season, closing hedge cutting from the, the 1st of March until the end of August. We have to look at that and make a provision whereby roads and junctions can be made safer and be it within the closed season or the open season, they, that can't be ignored because safety is paramount. And I think looking at the signage around the, the county, road markings around the county, some roads don't have any signage. You can't see it because they're overgrown with trees and hedges. Some roads don't have white white lines, so you can't navigate at nighttime. So there's a whole factor there in relation to road condition and road safety that needs to be addressed. And the only way 
that can be done is to give finance to the local authorities who can implement those measures and make roads safer. Just an example from a number of our listeners this morning. You mentioned the white lines and cat's eyes missing on the roads. We've a number of people texting in on roads around the Kinsale area where that exactly is happening on the roads from Mallow to Killarney Road, especially around Cullen. It's in shocking condition. And somebody wants to ask you, Declan, what is your opinion on what this person says is the absolute waste of money that has been spent by our councils who are filling potholes that are full of water with tar and chip that is absolutely rubbish uh, this texter is saying the next morning the holes are back again he feels it's stupid he feels uh, that it's not a lack of money it's down to a waste of money by councils I'd have to agree with your listener. Uh, I too have ended, uh, I'm of the same opinion. Um, for the last four months, it has been virtually next to impossible to get a pothole filled. Um, we have a shortage in, in outdoor personnel. So therefore, um, I've had numerous phone calls over the summer months with roads uh, with very bad conditions, very bad potholes, and they've just gone on, unattended because the personnel aren't there to um to repair them. And I also think that the the quality of the material that's being used nowadays to go into repairing roads isn't up to up to my satisfactory any because I think when we see roads that are being dug up to replace water pipes or putting culverts, when the surface is put back down after six or eight weeks, the road has sunken or packed down and again big chunks of the road and come away and you have a crater in the road. So the the, the, the maintenance ongoing maintenance of roads is, is a factor as well too but quality of the material being used has to be questioned as well too I think Yeah and I have to agree with John who is a, a truck driver and indeed a, a Gary is on as well, Gary drives for a courier company, he feels Cork is the worst county to drive in for example he can make headway in Limerick because of the amount of motorways and he feels motorways are safer to drive on, uh, that's Gary's view uh, and John is making the same point he said if, if a lot of the accidents in Cork are down to driver frustration, he he agrees with Declan because you are stuck behind a line of cars and what happens is someone takes a chance and then that chance can result in a bad accident and sometimes death. Uh, John feels if they had better roads, for example, more motorways like other counties have, it would make a huge difference. I mean, they both have very valid points there, Declan. I know myself, if I'm ever uh, travelling to the West Cork Sports Star Awards to Ross Carberry, I'm based in the Mallow studio. So if I'm travelling from Mallow to Ross Carberry, that can take me over two hours because you have to go on, first of all, in, in Inadequate road, the Cork to Mallow Road, which can't deal with the level of traffic that it's uh, that, that's on it at the moment because of people who have moved to Mallow from the city to buy a house and then people working in the city. And then you have to go via Blarney and through the city or other ways via Kerry Pike. Those roads, again, cannot cope with the volume of traffic. And then you're back on the N71, which we've spoken about, can't deal with traffic. So it can take over two hours. But if I tell someone that I'm going to Kilkenny they nearly fall off going you're going to Kilkenny as if it's a major driveway it can only be an hour and a half because most of that road is on a motorway so it can take you longer to get to Ross Carberry than Kilkenny I mean that should not be the case it should not. And anybody that will leave Cork County to go outside for whatever reason, and if you're coming back on your return journey, you don't have to look at the road signs to know exactly where you are. The road conditions will tell you exactly when you're back into Cork County because of the, the condition. Uh, you can just see basically a line across the road where the, the, the road surface deteriorates. And there are some roads in West Cork, John Paul, as you know, and you've traveled them. They, God forbid meeting a truck and trying to navigate past the truck on some of those roads. But even for two cars now to pass on a road is difficult. And some roads you can actually see the imprint of the wing, the side mirror of the car actually now embedded into the hedgerow. The hedgerow has come out so far and overgrown 
the, the cars now have actually cut a groove um, into the into the hedgerows where the wing mirror dra- drags along on, on a regular basis. So our roads are getting narrower because our hedgerows aren't being cut um, and the surfaces are wearing down because they're not getting resurfaced in an adequate time. Any road that has been resurfaced in the last five years, it'll be 20 or 30 years before that road it will be attended to or resurfaced again. That's unacceptable. And there's talk this morning that the local property tax, that that will be increased to, and given to councils to spend money on the infrastructures locally. Uh, will that play a part in our roads or is, is that just for, for minor uh, works regarding roads in our towns, villages and indeed regarding footpaths? Would that have any impact? I think the figure the minister mentioned today was something 70 something million. When that's broken down and given out to the, the various local authorities, it, it's pittance in the scale of what needs to be done. Um, it'll just do very minor cosmetics work, cosmetic works. We need serious money here. As you said at the outset, Cork County got the third lowest allocation of funding in our roads funding allocation this year. Um, if we were to get um, say what um, Mead and County Kildare, they get their allocation, but they have the multiplier effect. They get a multiplier of what they get annually because of the volume of traffic on their road. If that uh, system was applied to Cork County, we'd be getting an additional 15 million a year to invest in our roads. And that's why we want to meet with the minister, put, put these cases to him, that if it's being done for one county, why not for a county the size of Cork that has the largest network of roads and are crumbling and say, and and again, one of my concerns is that we're heading into the winter season now. The days are going to be getting shorter. The weather's going to be getting wetter. Drains are blocked. Um, gullies are blocked. Are we going to have roads flooded? Aquaplaning leading to, to accidents again. The, the list goes on, John Paul. It's not going to be fixed overnight. But what, what I'm asking for is that when the government are putting measures in place now to deal with road safety, the road condition itself, the road infrastructure has to be considered as part of that measure as well too going forward. And while the funding levels expected will be announced next year again, I I do presume uh, a lot of people are on here. This is one text first of all regarding speed from somebody saying nothing wrong with a 100 kilometre speed limit if it is on the correct roads. Some roads have a 100 kilometre speed limit where they should only have an 80 kilometre speed limit. Others then have 80 when they should only have 50. But as for the condition of the roads, what is Cork County Council doing which the money collect on motor tax. Unfortunately, we, we don't get it. We don't collect it. Yes, it, it will, we have a, collect, a collection system, but it goes up to Dublin and we just get back a very small portion of percentage of what's collected. And I, that I goes into the funding the, you spoke about into the overall pot? Sorry, John Paul. That goes into the, the funding you spoke about there, the overall funding. Does it go in, in, that into that? That goes into the general fund oh. in, in the government and that fund, that general fund that we get from the government, that has been reduced year on year for the last 20 years and they've now been using the local property tax as a means for Cork County Council to make that short, make up that shortfall. So we as, as county councillors every year have to make the decision, do we increase the, the local property tax on the general public to meet the shortfall in that general fund? So We're not getting the money that we pay, we're not getting it back to put it back into our roads. That's what it boils down to. Okay, Declan, I have to leave it there. Thanks for joining us this morning. That is Councillor Declan Hurley, who did contact us on those issues regarding roads. Declan's also chair of the Council's Road and Transport Committee within Cork County Council. A lot of calls and comments on this and more. I'll get to those next. 
today on C103. On the speed limits and changes on the way regarding our speed limits and our roads, Michael is in Little Island. He says, I live here in Little Island where there is a 50k speed limit all over. I see trucks, vans, cars and motorcycles speeding here every day. And I haven't seen a Garda here since before the pandemic. I have never seen a speed van here either in Little Island. Thank you to Michael O'Flynn there uh, texting in from the Little Island area, from Little Island though to North Cork where uh, somebody is listening in from a road they live in between Kildare and Farahi at Ballyno. Now the road is narrow and one side has a stone ditch that's leaning out onto the road. Lorries keep in and dislodge stones from the ditch on a regular basis. Many people have had their tyres destroyed on this stretch of road and as late as last Sunday four Americans had their tyre torn to shreds. They had to wait for over two hours for a repair van to come from Canturk. It's not great for our tourism. It's not good enough on the N73. That ditch needs to be removed, says that person. Uh, somebody else here feels on motorways 120 kilometres is crazy on any road and that is only on motorways uh, and I think yeah mainly motorways I think the Valenconic Bypass is 120 as well but mainly it's on motorways and uh, hi JP on the roads during the beginning of the summer uh, we went on a few day trips and we were, were gobsmacked why? Because we were gobsmacked at how great the roads were from Care to Clonmel to Waterford it was driving on the continent I feel we had when we were in those counties then we knew we were back home again in Cork when we met the disastrous roads and indeed even our main roads are shocking. Why can't they be like the other counties like we were in during the summer in Tip and Waterford? Thank you for your WhatsApp texts are welcome as well to 0862103103. Call Bernie on 0818103103. I've uh, a lot of calls in on the mother whose son was injured during a GAA match there ahead as well. I'll get back to those and also uh, Jack has emailed us because he has witnessed uh, people driving on their mobile phone because of our conversation we had earlier in the week. He decided to take note and look around while he was stuck in traffic. I'll share his email as well. All to come. It's Cork Today, JP, with you until one. Our lines are open. Bernie taking your comments on 0818103103 or indeed you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Shortly, we'll be discussing a report issued by Cyber Safe Kids and this is on the issue of cyberbullying where it seems now 25% of primary school children and 40% of secondary school students face cyberbullying on a daily basis. And more so for girls, and one of the reasons for this is because girls will upload more videos of themselves to social media sites than boys do. And it's also interesting to look, uh, if you're a parent, from a parent's point of view, on the different social media sites that people use these days. I mean, everybody talks about Facebook and Instagram. And while Instagram is still huge, uh, Facebook now seems to be really gone to an older generation whereby uh, those in school, in secondary schools, uh, Instagram is in use, as is TikTok. But the big one is YouTube Shorts. And this is simply very like Instagram or indeed very like TikTok as well. Uh, But it's done via via YouTube uh, and there's where the problem comes from the bullying point of view because girls upload to that more so than boys and they're uploading videos of themselves for whatever reason but pictures were always uh, something that social media was used for to share pictures and it was great when it came out first that you could see uh, your friends what they were up to in Australia and America and Canada and it went from only in the last two or three years uh, from pictures to videos and now this is having a different effect for those going to school 
School. Discussing that shortly uh, on the programme, your viewers are welcome on uh, cyberbullying within uh, the schools, both primary and indeed uh, secondary. But a lot of calls and comments, comments in on various issues. First of all, going back to the issue of the mother uh, who has a child playing GAA. This child was injured during a GAA game. And she wants to get some uh, advice from listeners who maybe had been in a similar situation. If you had a child that got injured within the GA during a game, they need medical treatment. Uh, her son needed physio, also uh, needed uh, dental treatment, but she never got any money back from the GA. She wanted to know if there's a general uh, rule on medical expenses within GA clubs because she could have gone down the private route with private insurance maybe and got money back that way, but she assumed she'd get something from the GAA. Well, on that, a number of calls and comments in regarding this. First of all, this person says on WhatsApp, absolutely disgraceful that uh, this person's club did not look after his expenses. If the boy pays his membership and plays for the club, the club have a duty of care to him. If this club doesn't do that, then I would say there is a lot more to uncover here, like have the club any insurance of any kind. If they do, then he should be covered. And also, there was a earlier WhatsApp or in before 11 who said if the person is playing GEA then they play at their own risk. This person says that that was a terrible comment from your previous WhatsApper say, to say that. Uh, let them put the shoe on the other foot and see how they would react from somebody on WhatsApp. Also somebody else saying uh, good morning. If you pay insurance with your membership in the GAA, if you were then injured uh, during a match as is outlined what has happened then all your expenses should be paid because that is what insurance is for. But this person says, to be honest, in their experience, the GAA, it really depends how much pull you have in the club or how good a player your child is before they will volunteer to help you. So push for this and also push the contact, the child welfare officer within the club. So there's an idea. If you feel like you're getting nowhere, ask to speak to the child welfare officer and keep pushing the case because I have another text very similar to that to saying that it depends on, on the player uh, and how much well known the player is in the club or indeed how well the family are known in the community. Uh, quite a lot of people saying that on text and WhatsApps. And, and one final one here it goes back to insurance. If you pay insurance with your GA club, well, then you are entitled to some type of payment. Make sure this person goes in and asks that to the GA officers because this person feels uh, sometimes unless you are part of a clique within the club, uh, then you're not looked after. It can go back to it's all who you know and what you know. Uh, thank you for your WhatsApp on that situation. On our roads, a lot of calls and comments in on speeding and indeed what should be done with our road network and indeed speeding roads a theme across the show this week because every day uh, so far from Monday onwards uh, the our road network has been making the main news headlines and today is to do with speed and now they're looking at changing speed limits on our roads. The road speed would reduce by 20k in the majority of roadways and on this Michael in Castletown Bear says I and many others have raised the issue of road infrastructure especially when the government have announced its surplus of 12 billion euro. This goes back to what Declan Hurley the councillor was talking to us before 11 o'clock when uh, the councillor looking for more money uh, from the national pot for roads in Cork because uh, some feel while speed and mobile phone is an issue when it comes to safety, the road network and the condition of our roads also play a part. 
And Michael says, remember uh, when Mary Harney said that they had so much money at the time, they did not know what to do with it. Well, it appears to be the same story today. Uh, the Transport Minister, Eamon Ryan, has a lot to answer for, says Michael. I said yesterday it is time to bring his reign to an end. Changing speed limits, road signage and passing bylaws, it will not be done until the year dot. Mother of God, says Michael, we don't have roads, only bicycle lanes. I repeat my call to the Taoiseach to call a general election, says Michael, and get rid of the Greens. The Michael O'Sullivan's strong view there from Castleton Bear on the issue. Uh, somebody else on text saying, delighted with the road speed limits being changed. Every day we see people walking on roadways without high vids. That is another danger. Pedestrians need to be careful. And Heidi says, uh, regarding the roads, I believe as many who do drive our roads on a daily basis, it is down to the upkeep of our roads. That is the cause of so many accidents. I have emailed TDs over the years on overgrown hedge and thankfully, these hedgerows did get cut. But the government has to start taking notice of what councillors here in Cork are saying and give funding for the upkeep of our roads. Dublin is not the be-all and end-all of this country. And we need to use our roads. And we need the right amount of money sent to Cork to get our roads upgraded. Your speaker, who was Councillor Declan Hurley, Heidi says, is so right we need to speak up in Cork to get the necessary funding for our roads. And back to the speed limit issue regarding our roads, said this person and saying it makes no sense making secondary roads 80 kilometres per hour. It causes people to take more risks to some uh, because if you have somebody driving 80 kilometres uh, on a road, then they might drive 60k. For example, the Bantry line this person is saying is a typical example of this. It's the main route for people to Beira and 80 kilometres makes no sense on the Bantry line. The condition of the road is a disgrace and the cause of more accidents with no dikes being cleared, like the road can turn into rivers because of that. You have potholes forming, you have loose shippings which aren't brushed off the road. And also regarding the Bantry line, this person is making the point that the Arctic trucks using the Bantry line are in Convoys, for example, you could have five or six lorries all in one go. This person feels that, that should not be allowed either. Uh, would you agree with that? I mean, the Bantry line, and for those who aren't aware, that would be more or less from Crookstown right down to Bantry, uh, was always a road that was considered a back road. But over the last 10 to 20 years, a lot of people use that road now more so than ever uh, to travel from Beira right up to the city. It's a very busy roadway. And is that person right? Reducing that road from 100 kilometres to 80k, uh, they feel this will cause people to take more risks and will cause more accidents on that stretch of road as an example. Uh, while there's a lot of talk on, on different roadways coming into us, one person, this is Cullum in Castletown Bear, he's asking about the road from Adrigal to Castletown Bear. He feels the main street in Castletown Bear is in a terrible condition. He was asking us to ask Declan. Now, by the time that message reached us, uh, he was off air, but we have got back on to him and he is going to check in with the engineer in that area, Cullum, and check out what is happening in the Adrigal to Castletown Bear and indeed even the main street in Castletown Bear as Cullum feels they're in a bad condition. Also, staying with roads briefly for the next few minutes. Uh, somebody here is saying Hi JP, I know there is a lot of onus on the motorists regarding safety on our roads but cyclists, especially people on scooters, have no consideration for anyone. They even cycle 
through traffic lights and also the congestion with schools and college traffic needs to be addressed. They could be some of the reasons for accidents on our roads. And Jay says it's no good cutting three or four foot of hedge. Most truck mirrors are above six foot and to replace the mirror is not cheap. Not to mind you have to buy the whole unit. So it's no good cutting a couple of feet up because trucks will still have to keep out. Uh, Passion for my regarding the deaths have been reported on our roads and people saying it's down to road conditions and now looking at the speed limits on our roadways, he feels speed limits are a maximum. If the road is not fit, you should drive slower. When they put up the new speed limits, the signs should also say max, says Pattern for Moy. So if they put up a new sign saying 80k underneath that should be the word max. So people realise that's as far or as fast you can go. Uh, Bill is in Clonakilty. He feels all the speed limit changes will make no difference until they put Gardaí doing checkpoints like they used to do before. That's a good point, I suppose, if you you can have all the uh, speed limits in the country changing, but if there's no one there to monitor them, well, where do you go? And a lot more calls and comments in regarding our roads. I'll get back to those. Also, oh, we have an email in from uh, Jack who, because we were discussing this over the last few days, has made observations on his uh, commute to work and the amount of people he saw on their mobile phones. Uh, I'll bring you that as well, but I want to deal with the issue of cyberbullying very shortly indeed. Uh, your views are welcome though on what we're discussing this morning. Bernie taking those calls 0818 103 103. You can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 or you can email across the show at c103.ie. Full and part-time hotel reception roles are available in Mallow. Experience in a similar role is desirable. You can email your CV and information to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com and mark that for the attention of Tracy. And a full-time assistant course superintendent is wanted for Band and Golf Club. A minimum of two years previous turf experience is necessary. You can email your CV and a cover letter to inquiries at bandandgolfclub.com or indeed post to James Burns course superintendent Bandon Golf Club in Castle Bernard in Bandon and a construction worker is wanted in Kinsale you can email your CV to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com these jobs and more they're online now just go to c103.ie forward slash job Court today on C103 Children as young as eight are being bullied and groomed online. This is from a new report issued by CyberSafe Kids. And Philip Arnell is Head of Education and Innovation at CyberSafe Kids and joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Philip. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. And thanks for joining us. You know, years ago, the bullying would have stopped when people left the school gates, but now it follows them home via smartphones. And from your report, it's interesting to see how girls are more likely to be victims than boys. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. It, it does follow you home. I mean, cyberbullying is, is something I never experienced because the, the tools simply weren't there when I was younger. Um, and it does follow you home. It's 24-7. Um, and it can also happen on multiple platforms. Uh, and as you correctly said, 43% of the girls in secondary, that's 12 to 16-year-olds, have been bullied compared to, to 30% of the boys. And it's probably also worth clarifying that those kids who reported having experienced uh, cyberbullying or some form of bullying online, um, that was... Uh, not just necessarily once or one uh, type of cyberbullying. There was a, a choice of options, so they were able to take multiple. Um, so we can assume for a lot of those kids it may even have been more than one of those kind of things. Why girls specifically are more um, bullied, we, didn't get, we don't have that information from the survey per se, but obviously there are uh, some differences in terms of 
um, the kind of apps that boys and girls are using. That, that some are more popular with others. Boys are doing a lot more gaming than girls would tend to be. Um, you know, and obviously. Um, Social media apps like maybe Instagram, Snapchat and TikTok may lend themselves a little bit more towards those kind of that cyberbullying thing with things like fake profiles, perhaps, or nasty comments and that kind of thing. But what is also concerning is that 46 percent of the boys who have experienced cyberbullying kept it to themselves. Uh, a lower percentage of girls, 28 percent, um, did tell a trusted adult or someone that they trusted. But, you know, not only are a lot of kids experiencing this, but in, in many cases, a lot of them are not telling anyone. And obviously we know, <laughs> you know, if they're not telling someone about that, that they're suffering, they're going through a bad experience. And it's only going to get worse if they're not able to talk it through or get uh, appropriate support from adults. Yeah, and with all the technology changes over the years, it's still interesting to see the lads will keep their mouths shut and still not sharing uh, compared to the girls. I mean, that hasn't changed and that's why we need to open that up and get the young guys to speak more about everything, not only about bullying, but on the girls and, and the bullying being more experienced by girls, I suppose you, you touched on it there with the various apps that you do tend to see girls making videos of themselves more for the likes of YouTube shorts or indeed TikTok. I mean, social media started out with pictures. It's now very much gone from the picture age to the video age. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is how we communicate. We live in a visual age. You know, we all know ourselves that and, and, and there's a lot of research around the efficacy of, of videos over text. You know, if you're promoting things on social media, um, how much reach and engagement you get if you're using uh, videos in particular. 40% of the secondary um, the post-primary age group, the 12 to 16-year-olds, reported that they post videos of themselves online. Um, and at the moment, anyway, 83% of that's on TikTok. So, you know, TikTok is definitely, um, at the moment, the most popular app uh, with that age group. Um, you know, it's it's also, there are concerns because if you're posting videos of yourself, again, that there are a few things that we would certainly caution in terms of, you don't know where that video is going to end up. Uh, you don't know who's looking at it and who's potentially downloading it or screen capturing it. Um, so, you know, think really carefully about that. And also just think about your own privacy. You know, when you share a video, particularly if it's shot um, in your own home or around where you live, you know, you are giving away, incidentally, other information about yourself. So it's just something to really bear in mind and think about for children uh, in particular, but also for young people as they get into the teenage years, uh, of, you know, when you're posting those videos online. Yeah, that's a good point, because if you're filming an area of, for example, a housing estate, someone may know where that housing estate is. And, and you know, that could lead to a, a totally different situation. And you mentioned the various apps there. I mean, interesting that some of these apps you mentioned, you must be either 13 or if not 18 to join up. So obviously people are getting around this by false dates of birth and, and false verification. Oh, absolutely. And, and and the sad thing is that this is not a new statistic that we're reporting. You know, it, it, it changes incrementally each year but i mean 84 percent this year of 8 to 12 year olds that's the primary age group are reporting they have their own social media account and again that's at least one social media account you know 76 percent have a youtube account uh, and then 37 percent uh, have both tiktok and snapchat accounts and as you said for those particular uh, apps that i've mentioned the minimum age restriction is 13 so age verification however much it is heralded by a lot of the social media platforms is simply not working. Kids, I was a teacher myself. I worked with some very skilled mathematicians, much more skilled than me, and it was not a big thing. It would not be a big thing for them to figure out what age you have to put into an app to indicate that you're actually 18. And of course, if you're then on that app and you're identifying as an 18-year-old, all the content uh, that's available to any other 
adult is also available to you. And as we know from particularly from some high profile cases, if you look up one thing, you look up a couple of different things, even out of curiosity, that algorithm will start to feed you that content. And before you know it, you can be going down some very dark rabbit holes and being pushed this constant content that, you know, quite frankly, is not designed uh, for children and in many cases, not even for young people. So it's really something that we've got to to highlight. And also we've got to, uh, you know, ask some serious questions about how this is going to be tackled, not just at an educational level, but also from the top down in terms of regulating and legislating social media companies to uh, to to really uh, live up to the responsibilities to keep children off these apps before they're ready. And I'll go back to the teachers issue in a moment, just as you mentioned their responsibility on social media companies. Do parents have a part to play in this as well by uh, when they're purchasing the devices and the apps are being installed? I mean, there's so much technology out there now where you can reduce Wi-Fi time in the house so they can't connect to the device when there's no Wi-Fi and you can monitor what devices are being used and indeed what apps are being used on a mobile phone or indeed on a, a, another type of smart device like a tablet. Parents more of a part you're letting the uh, child sign up to a social media site. Yeah, parents are a big part of the picture and of course they have a responsibility. Like 31% of 8 to 12 year olds have unrestricted access to the online world. So without a doubt there's a there's parental responsibility involved there. Parents feel overwhelmed and we really understand that but what we would also say very, very clearly is that, you know, digital parenting, you know, parenting your children in the online world is no longer a separate thing. It's no longer an add-on. It's a, it's an integral part of parenting, um, you know, in, in 2023. And so you've got to be talking to your children uh, and asking them what they're doing online, asking what's popular, asking what's trending. And as you said, then also, you know, where appropriate and depending on the age of the children, also look at those kind of restrictions. You know, um, Google and Apple both have family platforms that you can track the use of devices. You can monitor what content's being accessed. You can also set limitations and regulations within the house, even very practical things like where you charge your phones, for example. Are they allowed to go into bedrooms? Are they allowed to go into bedrooms with the doors closed or after a certain time at night? And so there's absolutely a responsibility there. And it is exhausting and it is overwhelming for parents, for sure. What we would also say, if you go to cybersafekids.ie, there's a lot of other websites available with lots of great free resources for parents. So you don't have to be a TikToker. You don't have to be a YouTuber to help your kid to understand what they're doing. You just need to know very rudimentally what the app is and what it does and why it's popular. And then you're already in a position to be able to talk to your kids about it, get them to show it to you. And in that atmosphere of trust and and better communication around their online life, it's much more likely you're not only able to help them, but if they do come across problems, they do come across issues, you can mitigate them much more quickly and they're going to be able to come and talk to you without fear of retribution, fear of losing access to devices or being online. And then the pressures on parents who may be holding back from buying a smartphone for their child. But if you have an example, a a school class of 20, and if your child is the only one in that class who does not have a smart device, then they feel left out. And that could lead to a different type of bullying in the school. So it's a real catch for parents, isn't it? It is. It's a catch-22 for sure. One thing we would say to parents is actually check because, we, you know, we we do have kids saying they're the only person that doesn't have a phone and it turns out actually they're not they're one of five or six or seven and there is this move as i'm sure you're aware in in different schools in ireland to perhaps for parents getting together and almost making this voluntary 
um, movement now towards holding off on giving smartphones. Uh, actually, in our report, 8 to 12 year olds, only 47% have a smartphone, but um, what seems to be happening is that around the time of communion, or certainly when they move into post-primary, they're then getting a smartphone. And we understand the reasons for that, but I would say certainly the, the difference between smartphones and, say, tablets and, and games consoles is obviously there's a mobility there. There's It's much more difficult to supervise and monitor once they're out of the house and connecting to different Wi-Fi networks and so on. And so perhaps wherever possible, you know, hold off on, on giving that device. And certainly once you have, make sure that you're continuing to monitor it uh, and to, you know, to check what they're doing, discuss what they're doing. And don't feel afraid to look at it and, you know, make it clear that that is an expectation that you're going to be checking what's on there and what kind of content's being accessed. And at least uh, then when those restrictions and expectations are clear, arguably then it's going to be a lot less likely that they're going to come across problems and get themselves into hot water. And then in the classroom, teachers must be dealing a lot more in our school systems now with online bullying and, and also for themselves trying to keep up to date with all the different and new apps that keep coming out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, 74% of teachers told us that online safety was a significant issue in their school and 62% of them dealt with at least one uh, online safety incident. It's tricky. I was a teacher myself for many years and, you know, sometimes there's a grey area there because as a teacher, you might be dealing with uh, things that have happened outside your classroom. You know, maybe something's gone on the night before, the day before uh, online, and then, of course, it comes into your classroom. But what I would say is, you know, obviously... Anything that comes into your classroom and affects the atmosphere and affects the teacher teaching and learning, you've got to deal with it. 45% of teachers feel they don't have sufficient knowledge and skills. So I think it's really important that there's a, a, a much uh, greater and uh, more developed focus on online safety education, how to teach these things to kids, uh, how to make sure that this kind of online safety education is embedded right across the curriculum, not necessarily taught once or twice a year. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Um, you know, as a discrete subject or as a discrete module within a bigger curriculum, but actually embedding it right across the academic year because really uh, online uh, technology and educational technology touches everything and kids are using technology on a lot of different subjects. And so really making sure that not only the basics are clear about privacy and security, but also more complicated things like how to read, uh, you know, sites to make sure that they're reliable, to look out for myths and disinformation, um, and to think also about your own digital footprint, like what you're putting online is positive and something that you're going to be able to stand by in 5, 10, 15, 20 years' time. Mm. 
Mm, true. And I know we discussed the age limits there. Someone has texted in asking, uh, should there be an age limit on where one should be able to have or when one should be able to purchase a phone? Or is it up to the parents? Well, I suppose at the moment it seems to be up to the parents. There's no legal, nothing legally, isn't there, about, about signing up to social media or indeed owning a phone. Nothing has ever been brought in uh, by law. Uh, not by law. I mean, the digital age of consent, obviously, in, in Ireland is 16, actually. So legally, you know, even when uh, young people get to 13, they should still have parental supervision to be on a lot of apps um, between 13 and 16. So in terms of the smartphone itself, you know, again, we're asked this question a lot. What's the age? What age should it happen? And I think it's it's it sounds maybe like we're dodging the question, but I think it really is a difficult one to answer because not all children are the same. You know, some are more prepared for certain things than others. But I do think whatever the, the you know, personality and makeup of the child is, whatever the circumstances are, the essential thing is that very clear uh, expectations and guardrails are put in place by parents once that smartphone is handed over and that it's not a case of it being handed over and then it's forgotten about. It's got to be an ongoing dialogue because as kids get older, the, the kind of things that they're accessing, the kind of apps that are popular will evolve and change very quickly in the online world. And so that ongoing dialogue is absolutely essential to ensure that children and young people uh, not only remain safe online, but also that they have a positive beneficial experience because there are a lot of positives and a lot of benefits that come from both social media and the online world. Um, and it's not a case of getting rid of it and removing it altogether. It's how we navigate it safely um, and in a smarter way. Yeah, and very finally, uh, there's been different types of bullying experienced over the years online. Uh, Geraldine just uh, highlighting one of them that happened to her daughter a number of years ago. And this is, and you touched on it earlier, posting pictures without permission. But this was a picture of her daughter. uh, And it looked like that her daughter was uh, kissing a boy just outside the school. She was not. She was talking to him, kind of whispering in the ear. The picture got shared and it got shared with the incorrect information. And because of that, then she was excluded from different chat groups and some of her friends didn't speak to her and that just shows the type of bullying that can happen uh, and that was all just from posting a picture Absolutely I mean we've, we had an, we dealt with an incident uh, not so long ago where actually someone had created a fake account in the name of the school um, and were posting as the school on a social media platform um, and when it was eventually removed the, the account resurfaced again and so, yeah, I mean, th- this is something that's happening all the time. And so one of the things, again, that would really help with this is the we have the Online Safety and Media Regulation Act and obviously now the Online Safety Commissioner's Office in Ireland, which is a fantastic step forward. What we're really looking for now is that the uh, individual complaints mechanism, which has been acknowledged as a possibility in that act, is really uh, brought into fruition as quickly as as is possible, and that would allow individual users like the the like Geraldine that you mentioned there and other people to go directly uh, and and demand and ask that this content is taken down in a timely fashion. And then the social media companies, if they do not respond uh, quickly enough with, within the agreed time frame, uh, financial penalties will start to kick in. Because at the moment, what we find is individual users are just distraught. Parents and schools are coming to us and saying, well, like we, we have to get this down. Like, this is awful. My child is very upset. And as you know, these social media companies are huge behemoth companies, and it's very hard to, to even get access to someone. We're lucky to have a few contacts. We're able to at least uh, try and get uh, some kind of action taken, but not everybody has that access. And so it's absolutely important that when those kind of fake accounts, fake profiles, fake pictures are posted in someone else's name, 
that they're taken down as quickly as possible. Yeah, true. And I mean, that's, that needs to be something that they concentrate more on. I think you made a good point there that somebody can just say what they want on social media, put up a post on any social media site, but it can be there for a year, two years, three years. It doesn't get taken down unless the person, the user takes it down themselves. Most of the time they don't. But if I was to say something, Philip, about you here uh, later on in the programme, you could sue me for defamation on the back of a radio law uh, or a broadcast law, but that isn't applicable to social media as yet. They, they haven't for some reason pushed that. So I think the sooner that is done, uh, the better for everybody in society. It's a very interesting report, Philip. Um, well done on the report there you've put together and hopefully things will improve and education will improve as well uh, for those who use the various apps online for the moment. Thanks for uh, speaking and joining us this morning. Thanks very much. Take care. That is Philip Arnell. He's the Head of Education and Innovation at CyberSafe Kids. And it's just, again, interesting to see what schoolgoers today are facing, not only within the school, but also uh, online. And I think, as Philip said, our social media companies have a lot to answer for and need to be monitored, certainly a lot, lot more in the way that normal or traditional broadcast media is monitored. I think the same has to be done for social media. And if someone does say something horrible about a person, uh, then they should be open to the same consequences as somebody if they said something horrible on a TV station or on a radio station or in a newspaper or whatever the same thing should apply and people can't you know hide behind fake profiles especially uh, towards children that's just so not on anyhow your views are welcome 0818 103 103 text or whatsapp 0862 103 103 and um, while we have been discussing road safety a lot during the week last week we were contacted by an abandoned base company And they have come up with an invention. And this basically is a device that they hopefully will prevent accidents from where we often hear of unfortunate incidences of somebody who may have fallen under a truck or a bike might have slid under a truck. Uh, This device, they're hoping anyhow, will prevent this and prevent death. We'll speak with that band and company next. Cork today on C103. As schools returned last week, a West Cork engineering startup called Rotorail decided to relaunch their road safety product in a bid to reduce casualties on Irish roads. Head of design from Rotorail, Shane Toomey, joins me. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. I mean, we're very aware of the many tragedies that have happened, some involving large HEVs that have no choice but to travel to towns like Bandon or Charnival and then have to go via the town because of a lack of a bypass from either side of that town. So this new startup, it's quite timely and the relaunch of this product will come to a benefit of many truck users. So just explain, first of all, how this works, Shane. Yeah, absolutely. So um, truck have uh, existing um, side rails uh, as a protection device. Um, our product is attached to the existing rail of the truck and it, it reduces the gap. Um, the existing gap is quite large and therefore there's room to improve. Um, like legislation says that it has to be 500 millimetres after all, but that's quite a large gap. So our system um, reduces this gap, but it articulates then in order to kind of avoid potholes such as like uneven ground and uh, large uh, speed ramps and that, you know. So many people across the road every single day, they're cycling on our roadways and accidents that can happen so easily. Uh, for example, you could be on your bike avoiding a pothole and then an incident occurs. You could get clipped by a truck, no fault of the truck driver, no fault of the cyclist avoiding the pothole. But, you know, incidents can occur and this is where your safety measure can help. 
Absolutely. It can happen in a split second. And this is the, the vulnerable space where these accidents typically happen. So it'll greatly lessen the, the severe injuries or, or worse fatalities um, surrounded by these kind of incidences, you know. And you will always see signs then, Shane, on the back of trucks advising motorists you know, not to drive too close because if you do, the truck driver may not see you. You'll also see signs that say if you cannot see the mirrors of the truck in front of you, then the truck driver cannot see you. Just trying to show the motorists the consequences of what could happen if they do drive too near a truck. And then if you're in a situation where trucks are driving through narrow streets of our towns, you can see then how an incident like you have mentioned can happen there and, and how this device can prevent that absolutely like like the the truck drivers senses are put through their paces when they're going through a built-up area especially you know during school hours now especially you know they've, they've a lot to watch they've a lot to look after and this gives them a sort of a, a peace of mind that in the event of something happening that this is going to lessen the effects is there a lot involved in on installing this in a truck or, or how does that work so it's it, it's quite an easy system to fit, but it'll be fitted by um, registered and trained installers. Um, but it's it's not an intrusive system, so it it goes on quite easily, you know. And has there been a big interest from truck companies on this? There is interest. Um, we're trying to educate the industry on the the merits of the device. Uh, it's early days so far, but um, feedback is very positive. So I think it's just a matter of time now before. We'll, um, we'll hit the ground running. And you're a company based out of West Cork. This product will be available right across Ireland. What made you decide to go and invent and come up with an idea like this? We were actually approached by a friend of ours uh, that's in, um, that's in the, the industry. And uh, unfortunately, he had uh, incidents in the past where his drivers had had incidents occur to them. And he knew it was a problem area and he wanted to try and solve it. So he kind of came to us with the problem and uh, we engineered a solution for it then from the night. And are you hopeful now that more companies will get behind uh, the product? I mean, is there many big, large haulage companies getting involved? Absolutely. They, like they, As I say now, it is early days, but um, anytime anybody sees it, the, positive, the feedback is very positive. Have the, any of the organisations such as the Road Safety Authority or other uh, groups that do promote road safety, have you made them aware of this? We have. We have. Uh, we've approached them now on, on various social medias and that, but um, there hasn't been a, a massive comeback from them just yet. Well, hopefully there will be because it's a product that will save lives. I mean, we have unfortunately heard of so many accidents over the past uh, number of months involving pedestrians and many can be involved with HGVs. Again, no one's fault, but at the same time, something like this can prevent a death or a serious injury. So hopefully there'll be an uptake on this. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, it's beneficial to everybody involved, you know. Well, best of luck. And the company itself, uh, how is your, your company doing there? We're doing great. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, we're involved in the pharmaceutical and medical device in- industry and um, that's thriving. So, so thankfully, we're, we're extremely busy.
Well, it's great to see local businesses doing well and also inventing a product that will save lives. I mean, this will prevent people from, unfortunately, uh, falling under a truck. That's what this will do, the prevention method whereby those who end up in an accident fall off their bike, fall off a footpath in a town centre. They can, as we have seen before, fall under a truck and that can leave then devastating consequences by way of injury or worse still death and this product will prevent that. So it's a good local invention, uh, Shane. So well done to all the team there and thanks for joining us this morning. That is Shane Toomey, Head of Design from Rocha Rail and they're based in Bandon. And hi to Anthony who was tuned to us in Limerick who was remembering Dolores O'Reardon today because this would have been her birthday today. So hello to you, Anthony. And of course, uh, she was a major part of the Cranberries. A great singer indeed she was. And thanks for your text, Anthony, on 0862 on that number and indeed to Bernie and 0818-103-103 your gardening questions are welcome Peter Dowdall theirishgardener.com he will join us after 12.30 answering all your gardening queries Cork today JP until 1 and Bernie taking your calls and comments and indeed your gardening questions are welcome now for Peter Dowdall who will join us answering all your gardening queries from 12.30 you can call Bernie on 0818-103-103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 you would have heard Murray there say on our sports news regarding Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy. They began uh, the defence of the world title this morning. Uh, they were going into the quarterfinal in the lightweight men's double skulls at the World Rowing Championships in Belgrade. They have just done that and uh, both Paul and Fintan are now through uh, to the AB semi-finals of the World Rowing Championships and they're on course to qualify as Irish lightweight men's doubles for the 2024 Olympics. They just won their quarterfinal in the last number of minutes. So well done uh, to both Paul O'Donovan and Fintan McCarthy from Skibbereen Rowing Club uh, who have represented Ireland so well over the last number of years. We can all still remember the huge homecoming they had a number of years ago in Skibbereen and they look like they're on course now to go ahead again and do that at the Olympics. Uh, But huge congrats to both of them. Uh, Paul and Finton, who you would have heard with us here on this show and indeed our sports shows uh, from the Celtic Ross Hotel West Cork Sports Star Awards over the years, of course. They were overall winners at the West Cork Sports Star Awards and indeed uh, many times they were monthly winners as well, both as individuals and indeed both together. So we wish them well and great news and some good news this morning uh, that the lads have done well. As I say, lines are open. You can email us as well across the show. You can email right across the day as well, 24-7 Cork Today at C103 Dot IE, an email I didn't get to from Jack regarding what he witnessed when he was driving as we're mentioning a lot about road safety this week and what's happening on the roads it's making headlines every morning for the last three days uh, but Jack uh, while on his commute to and from work just made a note because he heard us talking about this of people who were on their mobile phones I'll get to that email shortly back to our discussion earlier though with Councillor Declan Hurley this was to do with investment on a road network in Cork as well speed and the use of mobile phone and driver behaviour is a problem that leads to accidents on our roadways. So is the condition of our roads. And some more calls and texts on this. First of all, Thomas in Bantry 
He says years ago, uh, the area where he is was supposed to get a state-of-the-art road and this was running from Bantry to Castletown Bear. Why? Because Castletown Bear is a major fishing port. A base was put in place for a bridge at Adrigal, but the bridge never happened. The bridge in Adrigal is there since 1850. When the Quakers built it, it is only fish for a horse and cart and now trucks are going crossing this bridge on a daily basis. Uh, Jimmy is in Bantry. He says, JP, it is a number of years back when... Uh, the politician PJ Sheehan said the briars and bushes were shaking hands across the roads. Well, they have truly shook hands and are now in a deep embrace and will remain so for the foreseeable future, I think, says Jimmy. Visitors to good old Ireland are in dismay when they come to realise they are visiting an unmapped jungle. But Jimmy says, it's a great old country and sure everything is grand. Uh, Jimmy in Bantry on WhatsApp to 0862103103. Jonathan Mallow. And John worked for a number of years uh, on road construction and he says there is only one way to fill a pothole. That is hot tar. The cold tar is only to be used if the road is dry and he feels that that is the reason and we have so many potholes today. Also, rural roads, he feels, are not fit for 60 kilometres per hour. Uh, they are nearly closed in with ditches and trees so people will have to go slower than 60. And he feels the way the current government is going and the way the Green Party are going with building greenways and cycle lanes there's too much money going on construction of greenways and cycle lanes and more of that should be going into roads because roads is what people are using not that they're not using cycle lanes they are but the majority of the country has roadways that need to be done and need to be constructed and the money should be used in a proper manner and not all going to one aspect of transport and John feels that that is at the moment seems to be greenways and indeed cycle lanes also uh, when you talk about the council he feels the council has too many office workers now and not enough outdoor staff to do the physical work that is needed. John hasn't done it more and when he heard people before uh, telling their own stories of having staycations and when they drive out of Cork they see these fantastic motorways in uh, Tipperary in Limerick in particular as we mentioned a lot this morning that ring road around Limerick City that you can go off then uh, to other areas of Limerick uh, even if you're travelling to Galway now, it's motorway the whole way. Anyhow, on that, uh, he feels that the roads, uh, what's given to money-wise to roads, should be evened out between Waterford, Tipperary, Limerick, because they all have good roads. So do it that way. But I suppose they could argue then uh, here in Cork that they have good roads because they're smaller counties uh, with a lower population, but yet they could be getting similar, if not more funding than Cork. And, and that's the, the big problem they have here uh, in Cork. It's getting the funding for the size of the Cork County. I mean, the county alone, it's it's a region more than a county. It's so big. I mean, again, we could argue for days on this, but you, it can take you three and a half to four hours to go from one part of Cork to another. And you cannot say that about other counties in the island or on the island of Ireland. Uh, somebody else is asking... If you have an accident, can you bring a case against the council if an accident occurs on these roads? Uh, depending, it's a lot of legal arguments on that. I mean, if someone damages their tyre in the past, they have gone to Cork County Council and we have seen people be reimbursed for that. It takes a time, but it has happened on an accident. It really depends on the circumstances, I suppose. Uh, and that would be a massive legal question there to prove if it was the council's fault or not. 
And John is in Clonakilty on the roads and he says other local issues. A lot of councillors and MEPs are coming alive again. Oh, yes, the elections in 10 months, says John. Well, in fairness, any of the ones that spoke to us over the last few days on this were have been joining us on a regular basis for the last five years. You, you can't accuse them of uh, coming out of hiding. Uh, if you want to go down that route, John, there's a lot of people who have been missing for the last five years and are not elected, but they're obviously going to be running again or have some involvement in political party because all of a sudden certain people that haven't been seen or heard of are emailing us uh, all of a sudden and there is elections in the next few months as you have mentioned uh, but these people we haven't heard of the last time we hear from them was five years ago when there was elections or indeed back at the general election so they're obviously involved in grassroots political parties yes they're back but uh, you could not accuse uh, the people who have been on with us uh, today or indeed the last few days they've been on quite regularly over the last five years and they either contact us on various issues that we are discussing to see if there are solutions. Um, but if you want, as I said, John, go down that route. There's plenty of people who have gone missing for five years who are all of a sudden, they're not elected, but they're obviously trying to be, or they're in some way involved in a political party and they're all of a sudden making noise, but no noise for the last five years for them. If you choose to go that route, there you go, John, in Clonacilty. Uh, Michael, hello to Michael Fitzgerald. Michael is in Charnival. Michael wants to raise the issue of... Going more or less so what we spoke before midday with Shane Toomey from Rotorail in Bandon and their invention for trucks because yesterday he was crossing the main street in Charnival. The lights were green and as he was crossing, a car drove through the red light at speed, missing him by inches. Uh, and he's making the point that he could have been knocked down or injured or maybe thrown back by nearby trucks or anything like that could have happened. And there's two issues there. The First of all, driving through the red light and secondly the issue of speed which we have been discussing over the last few days so thank you Michael for that and I'm glad you're, you're okay but a shock and I'm sure when you think it's safe to cross uh, the street and so many accidents unfortunately we have seen in Charleville as well over the last number of months I suppose when you are crossing any type of crossing even if you do get a green light you still have to watch because people just are rushing around these days like like no tomorrow. It's something I spoke with the with Eddie Buckley, the retired Cork City firefighter, and he agreed. It's just this rush mentality we have. Everybody's in a rush. Everybody's under pressure to get from A to B. You're leaving work. You're rushing to get out of work to go and collect your child from school and bring them to a, a sporting game. And it's all rush, rush, rush. And everybody is racing against the clock, especially if you're commuting to work. And that seems to be a big issue. That is another reason for these accidents and speed on our roads. And staying with behaviour and speed, as somebody here is saying, great to see reduction in our speed limits being mentioned this morning. Uh, this is coming from one of the many ideas that has been brought about as the ministers meet this morning. And that is the main headline this morning, that speed limits are to reduce. But this person is saying, will they be ignored? Another thing people take no notice of on the roads is the white continuous line. Outside this person's house, a motorist passed the lorries outside my entrance and there is a white line outside my house. But yet, they all pass out. For me, it's a nightmare to exit my gate. I can imagine if there's a truck coming towards you, you don't know if that's a car at the other side of the truck. Anyhow, thank you for your text. And Stephen, interesting to hear people's views on this. Stephen says... We have too many roads in this country. On some roads, we have only one dwelling. People should be living in villages and towns, feels Stephen, against the one-off housing and that everybody should be in a village and in a town and that would reduce the risk of accidents uh, because we'd be all going to one location. Stephen, on text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. An email came in yesterday afternoon from Jack 
And Jack says, I want to share an observation I made recently while driving in traffic, which has been a growing concern in our community for the last number of years. On my commute, I could not help but notice that there was at least five drivers using their mobile phones while navigating through the congested traffic. The reckless behaviour is not only dangerous, but also it puts the lives of those on the road at risk. Distracted driving, particularly through the use of mobile phones, has been the leading cause of accidents and collisions in recent years and it's alarming to witness how prevalent this issue has become. Jack goes on to say he believes that raising awareness about the dangers of distracted driving is essential. Encouraging responsible behaviour behind the wheel can help to reduce accidents and save lives. He says he urges all our communities to come together to address this issue by promoting safe driving habits, such as using hands-free devices, pulling over to make a call and to avoid texting while driving. On one small stretch of road in a village, While he was stuck in traffic, five drivers on the opposite side of the road, all moving slowly, were looking at their phones. Two drivers looking down, not even looking up at the road, looking down. And Jack says it was obvious that they were texting. He feels he would like to see an increasement in law enforcement. And this may deter distracted driving. And indeed, if the existing laws were enforced more, then it would have a huge effect on all of us on the roads. He goes on to say education and enforcement can play a crucial role in curbing this dangerous behaviour. Thank you, Jack, for your email to Cork Today at c103.ie. A lot of calls and comments on other issues that we have been discussing this morning. I'll get to those next. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Blarney and District Historical Society, they're holding their annual general meeting. It's on this coming Thursday at 8 o'clock in the Blarney Secondary School. Everyone is welcome there. The Bobby Bear Memorial Concert will be held in St. Peter's Church in Bandon on this coming Friday at 7.30pm. Everybody is welcome Welcome and donations on the night will be for the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland and indeed St. Peter's Church Organ Fund. Bingo goes ahead in Mallow GA Complex this Friday at 8.15pm. The jackpot there is €6,100. And also Bingo goes ahead in the store at the Creamery Yard in Kildallery this Friday at 8 o'clock. The jackpot in Kildallery is €2,350. And Drumahan Autumn Fair will be held this Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m in the community park in Drumahan and they'll have locally grown fruit and veg, home baking and much more with all proceeds going to the continued development of Drumahan Community Park. If you want to advertise your event, include it on the Cork Diary. Just email us the details to diary at c103.ie. Cork Today on C103. And Stephen, just before the break, was asking and basically saying that everybody should be living in a village or a town and then that would make things easier by way of roads because we have so many roads with just one dwelling on them and that there's too many roads in Ireland. Well on that uh, Michael says, oh dear poor delusional Stephen, how does he think farmers can work from nearby villages or towns and where does he see the effect on rural communities and where is the accommodation for all those rural residents in urban areas? Not that we would want it. 
it, uh, says Michael. He's calling Stephen a twat and does not agree. Uh, while Jessica saying similar to that reaction from Stephen, saying that everybody wants to live in a village or a town and we should be entitled to uh, build on our own land if we want to, says Jessica. Uh, but then we have another Michael, a different Michael, and also John agreeing with Stephen with some regards to say that I agree there are so many new housing estates being built in many rural areas with still some houses remaining for sale. Now, these towns are a good bit out from the main cities, so maybe that is why they're not ideal commuter towns. But still, it frustrates me to see planning being given then for one-off housing very near these new housing estates. This should be disallowed. It has been in many areas. It's only a number of them that John has seen over the last while and indeed Michael. But they feel that one-off housing, when you have a housing estate, new housing estate built just below this particular area, well then people should be told that no, you can't build one-off housing and they should be forced or else just told you there's plenty of housing in the nearby village or town or nearby housing estate. State. Uh, this is another cause of pollution. What is the point in building a number of housing estates if then people are going to go off and build one-off housing? I can understand in some regards. I'm not totally against one-off housing, says John. Uh, but both texters are making the point that if you look at the county development plan, it makes no sense in building large housing estates. And then a few metres up, you have somebody building a one-off house. It makes no sense whatsoever. And that is where we are going wrong in rural Ireland. I'm sure there'll be mixed views on that also. Thank you for your text regarding that. Now, uh, somebody else has been on to us regarding the National Broadband Plan and of course uh, they are making an, more announcements today. They're in Cork and I think it's the uh, 50,000 connection to the high speed fibre network under the National Broadband Plan was made this week. Uh, but they may need to hurry up with this because from the UK I was reading in the Times of London that millions of people are set to lose access in the UK to their landline phone soon as the traditional network is set to be switched off in favour of broadband technology. And in the UK, like here in Ireland, they're using copper wire and the copper wire they use for the landline network is due to be switched off there in 2025. So anyone who in the UK who doesn't have broadband uh, will already uh, now have to go along and install broadband. So if you don't have it already in some parts of the UK, which are very like Ireland, I know people living in in certain parts of uh, rural Wales and also in parts of uh, Yorkshire and, and rural Newcastle and those areas of Cumbria as well, whereby like you would have here in Ireland, they cannot get access to broadband and if they have, it's quite poor and the speeds are not great. Uh, But anybody who doesn't now will have to install it if they want to stay in touch with family or friends uh, and they'll be using a new system called Voice Over Internet Protocol, uh, which many companies now use here in Ireland and in in Ireland, many companies are going uh, that way. When I mean mean companies, big companies who have a large phone networks like call centres, they've gone away from the uh, traditional phone line uh, to this type of system. Also, if you have changed broadband providers yourself, you'll realise that over the years that they tell you you'll now be in a new type of system. So it is here in Ireland, that technology but what's happening is the copper wire network is being switched off in the UK. That will happen here too. I'm more of a worry, I suppose, for people who rely on landlines. And I know you can do it on your mobile now, but some people still rely on landlines for personal alarms. So that is something to watch for. Uh, not happening here as yet, but usually if something happens in the UK, it does follow on here. Now, uh, hello to Anna on text, who is asking about the bells we spoke about yesterday. We were speaking to Linda Deal, uh, Linda Dean even, uh, about the restoration of the 
the bells at the Church of Ireland in Donnerill. Anna found the chat most in- interesting and she wanted to know when the bells are on display. Well, Anna, they're on display today from 2 to 4 and again this evening from 7 to 9 at St Mary's Church in Donnerill. And they hope to have the bells ringing out over the next few weeks. And they're also looking for bell ringers. So if you uh, feel you could be a bell ringer, then get in touch with them at St Mary's Church of Ireland in Donnerill. And hello to Bernice. Bernice lives in Morrison's Island, uh, but she has a problem at the moment because lately the bin men have been arriving uh, to collect the bins at 4.15am. But she says they are disturbing many of the residents and she's wondering what can she do about this as she feels it's miles too early uh, for the bins to be collected, uh, says Bernice, and living in the uh, city centre of Morrison's Island. And this has come up before. I thought there was a law uh, or some type of a, a, a law in about this or a curfew limit on the licences of those who do operate. And there is for Cork County Council, whereby under the licence issues, bin lorries are not permitted to operate in housing estates before 6am. And uh, some say that they have never heard of uh, a bin in housing estates beforehand, but some were, and that's where the whole thing came from. But I can't find anything for Cork City and under Cork City Council. So why it isn't the county that they should not be collecting pre-6am, uh, there's nothing for the, six, the city area. So I'll have to check that out for you, uh, Bernice, and see if there is uh, a rule or regulation or something on the licence that's issued to the waste collectors that they cannot be out collecting bins uh, before 6am. As I said, I don't see anything And in the city centre areas. If you are uh, out early in the mornings, you will often see them uh, out at five o'clock. Anyhow, half five, uh, you know, cleaning the streets, fine, but the bin companies are out usually at that time, but that's in the city area. So I'll have to get that checked out and see if there is a different law and we'll come back to you on that, Bernice. So thank you for your text to 0862103103. Uh, keep your gardening questions coming. Peter Doddall will join us next, answering all your gardening queries. Cork today on C103. And before we go gardening, hello to Humphrey in Clonakilty because the Galleyhead Swim was held last weekend and Humphrey feels it was one of the most positive experiences and wonderful community event for the area there. Taking in a beautiful Ross Carberry, Long Strand, Red Strand, Ardfield, all that area to the Warren uh, in and around the Clonakilty and Ross Carberry. He says it was all about raising money for charity and about 120 people took part and there was three generations of one family there. Uh, so thank you to everybody who helped organise the Galleyhead Swim and hello to you Humphrey and I know you and many others in Clonakilton. We spoke to the Galleyhead Swim back in June I think it was uh, because it was due to be held around then then it was postponed because of weather and it did go ahead last weekend so well done to everybody and it is a huge experience and indeed a huge event there in that area of West Cork so well done to all involved. Right let's go gardening and we're joined as usual on a Wednesday afternoon by Peter Dowdall the Irishgardener.com. Good afternoon to you Peter Good afternoon, John Paul. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. And a lot of gardening questions in, so we'll get straight into them. It's uh, weather-wise been a fabulous week. And while we are supposed to get thundery showers overall, it is going to be warm. And even so warm, there's a yellow uh, warning for tomorrow and Friday of temperatures getting to 29 degrees. So that'll be fun for the garden for this time of the year. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. At 29 degrees in September. I mean, I know we often get very good weather in September. Uh, and Trisha and myself have been talking about it a lot over the last few weeks. She, she's laughing at me now because I was scoffing the long-range forecast last week. <laughs> but uh, but good weather relative. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is something else. This is better than what we've had all summer. Um, so, yeah, I think it is going to be interesting in the garden to see. I think a lot maybe of the spring flowering plants like camellias and rhodos 
may think that they've come into next year early, if you know what I mean, and may start opening early. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think we'll definitely see see growth emerging now that we wouldn't expect to. And, and yeah, I think it'll be interesting. Well, in the mornings, if you're driving to work, anybody who's up early, and I know Ken Tobin, who presents the breakfast show, was up extra early. 19 degrees it is at the morning when he's coming to the studio, and it's 19 to 20 when I'm arriving. And that's all before 7 a.m. So at that hour of the morning, if temperatures are that high, we'd expect something different, I'm sure, and higher again for daytime over the next few days. But into the questions, Peter, and we're going to start off with Anne in Middleton. Now, this was emailed into us earlier, so if you've done your homework, hopefully you'd have seen these pictures, Peter. Uh, she wants to know what is happening with her apples. Now, they're blossom and they're doing so beautifully. Uh, but when the apples grow, it seems like they reach maturity when this happens. Any idea there's kind of black spots and pieces of missing out of the apple? Yeah, it's. Um, I, I saw one or two of the photographs. I didn't see any pieces missing, but I just saw the um, the spots in it. And it's, it's scab. It's apple scab. Uh, and this is the, and there could be more going on. But they're all fungal infections. They're fungal problems. And we've had these questions quite a bit over the last few weeks. And it's no surprise when you look. I know it's beautiful weather now, as we just said, but it's no surprise when we look at the amount of rain that we got in July and August. It was very, very damp, warm conditions, uh, ideal for the development of these fungal infections. Uh, and that's what's causing it. There's very little you can do except cultural control, which which is kind of a fancy way, really, JP, of saying good pruning and, and good plant care. So prune your apple trees in November and try and make sure that you're creating a good open centre to the to the tree. Um, remove branches that are crossing, remove any diseased branches, and then reduce the overall branches that you're leaving. Remove, re- reduce them in, in 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 size by about 20%, and that will hopefully remove a lot of the infection out of the tree, um, allowing good air circulation through the plant. If, it, if the tree is congested, we have a, lo- a lot of foliage in the middle of the tree, a lot of rain coming down, ideal for fungal infection to get a hold. So, so good pruning in November, and then at the time of bud blast, which is when the, the leaf buds burst back into to growth next spring, uh, I would drench the, the tree in the root zone with a, a solution of copper sulfate mixed with water. That's very good preventative for a lot of these fungal problems. The, 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 the fruit, it should be said, is still fine to eat. It just doesn't look very particularly appetising. And staying with apples, Peter, James is inclined. He wants to know when he can grow apple trees. Is this the right time of the year to plant them? And how many trees will he need? Now, his neighbour has three trees at the moment and they've had plenty of fruit this year. Yeah, well, when you plant them is, is, I'm not going to say it's irrelevant, it's not. But I mean, nowadays, everything nearly is grown in, in pots, right? So that means you can grow, you can plant 12 months of the year, 52 weeks of the year, really, you can plant something if it's been grown in a pot. The only times to avoid are when the ground is physically frozen or waterlogged. Um, and at the moment, in the middle of a, of a drought, uh, I would probably avoid planting too much at the moment as well. But uh, the, still the best time to plant is the autumn, uh, September, October, November, because the ground is still relatively warm. Uh, it gives the plants a good chance to get established before they come into growth next spring. So I would say plant your apple trees any time from now on, really. Uh, give them a good stake and give them plenty of water, obviously, during this dry period. Don't think as soon as they're in the ground, they can fend for themselves. They can't. Uh, the root system won't be able to get its own water for a year or so. Um, so you will have to pay attention to watering them. Um, how many you'll need, you'll, you'll certainly need two and perhaps more. So without without going too far into it, John Paul, uh, apples, apple trees need a pollinating partner. So that really means they need another, a, a, an apple tree of a different variety, but flowering at the same time. So the bees can do their magic. The bees will go from one plant to the other and one flower to the other. And, and with that, they'll bring pollen and they'll, they'll pollinate the trees for us, which leads to the fruit. Um, 
some then you will like like Bramley's, for example, if you're doing a cooker like Bramley's, that's what's called a triploid, which means you need three trees. You need two varieties to pollinate the Bramley. Um, don't want to get too far into it. You'll get more in-depth advice in your local garden centre. They'll help you. But you'll certainly need two apple trees. OK, James, hopefully that helps you there in Klein. Best of luck with that. From Klein to Clonacilty, Eileen is in Klein, Peter. You like what she's trying to do. Uh, she's deciding to plant wildflowers in a large lawn that they have. So she has two questions, Peter, for you. Her first question is, where would you recommend to buy large bags of Irish wildflower seeds? I like everybody in Clonacilty because one of my favourite places in the world. So, uh, And what she's doing... Um, putting in wildflowers is of course to be commended getting large bags of Irish wildflowers you can contact me certainly through the Irish Gardener and because I do supply native Irish wildflower seed now for for I need to speak to to see how much you need and and the rest of it uh, there are others around the country a quick search online it is important that you're using native Irish wildflowers as she says particularly in a large area um, so you could as I say certainly get on to myself at theirishgardener.com or do a, a quick search online you'll find others doing doing them as well Okay Eileen there's your first question you can haggle with him now Eileen when you're buying the uh, wildflower seeds off and make <laughs> sure he gives you a good price and then the second part of her question is would Peter remove the grass turf and then plant wildflower, wildflower seeds or do a tight mowing scarifying and then plant the wildflower seeds I think there's two ways of doing it, really, JP, in my, in my uh, experience. So first is do nothing. So just leave the existing vegetation alone. And, and uh, it, it's a movement in Northern Ireland which started in its don't mow, let it grow. And just by doing that, you'll be amazed to see how many species will reemerge. So you might actually just sit back and do nothing. Um, that's the first option. Second option, I think, then, is to remove the existing vegetation onto bare soil. It doesn't want to be nutrient-rich soil. It wants to be poor soil, in fact. Um, and then put down your fresh your your wildflower seed on that fresh freshly exposed soil. Realistically, cutting it low and scarifying it to to try and create uh, contact with the soil, not hugely successful, I would say in my my experience. So I would say you're better off to do nothing, literally nothing, and leave nature take its course, or else remove the vegetation completely and and put down the seed on the soil. Okay, Eileen, best of luck with that. And Mary is in Mallow. Now, we sent you on these pictures, uh, Peter, beforehand, so I'm not too sure if you get a chance to see them or not. But Mary uh, has hydrangeas and she waters and feeds them regularly. And she's looking for advice on this because I don't know if you've seen those pictures. It looks like some of the flowers are dying on some of those. They are. I have seen the pictures and really she has nothing to worry about. I know it's unsightly, but... uh hydrangeas that's just what the flowers do when they die off I'm afraid now I know it's early and it possibly happened quite early and again it's back to the rain I'm afraid because we had so much rain during July and August which is the flowering period for for hydrangeas it actually has just led to the discoloration of the flower and them turning brown early nothing at all you could have done about that this year you if 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 for aesthetics you could certainly prune off those dead flowers now because there, there are still quite a few nice pink ones on that plant your t- the, 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 the dead flowers that are left in them are taking from the attractiveness of it, if you like. So I would probably remove the dead ones, but I'm afraid you've done nothing wrong, nothing at all. Nature just went against you this year. And another picture one here, not too sure if you saw this, it's uh, tomatoes. And this person wants to know why has some of their tomatoes on the same plants never developed and those that have, uh, they look like, it's like they have scab or something on the tomato. 
I didn't see the picture, so I'm not going to even hazard a guess without looking at it, I'm afraid, because it could be several things when it comes to tomatoes. But I'll certainly try and have a look at it for next week. OK, we'll do that next week. It just came in before you came on here, so we'll go back to that one uh, next week on the show. Hello to Margaret. Margaret wants to know, is this a good time of the year to trim back roses and forest flames? You could trim back your roses now, all right. I wouldn't give them their their kind of hard pruning, their annual haircut, if you like, right at the moment, but certainly trim them back, remove any uh, flowers that are finished or remove any kind of yellow or black leaves, certainly trim them up. Uh, give them their hard prune sometime during the winter, I would say any time between November and February. Um, uh, forest flame, Pyrrhus forest flame, you can prune it back now, Though you will, what that will do is two things. Number one, they have their flowers on the, the shrubs already for opening up next spring. So if you trim that now, you will be cutting off next spring's flowers. Uh, but you won't harm the plant at all, so don't worry about that. But you will lose next year's flowers. The other thing, cutting it back at this time of the year, if you cut it back hard, is you will be encouraging uh, fresh new growth, particularly in these temperatures, Um which will be then quite tender and vulnerable to the dropping temperatures as we do head into the winter. So I, I would maybe trim it, but I would again, like the roses, I wouldn't go too hard in it at the moment. And this is Eileen. Eileen's in Banlascarthy. Her son has a pear tree. Now, the pears that come off the tree, they're very hard. Uh, is there any way when you're growing them, the best way to soften them or, or any advice for them? Grow them in Portugal. <laughs> 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 I'm afraid Immigration. I've been growing pears for years myself in, in Cork and they they rarely ripen to, to a soft to, to be soft enough I'll be honest um, all you can do is this weather will certainly help because the, the, the pears are still on the trees so this weather will certainly help to ripen them and soften them but really it is a climate climate issue so a south facing wall somewhere as warm and sunny as you can in the garden and leave them on the tree for, excuse me for as long as you can and we'll stay on pears because Mary is asking and you might be, it could be a similar answer. Uh, she's growing pears, but this year they're all black. Any advice on why they came black this year? Without seeing the picture now, again, it's it's most likely some kind of um, fungal mould. So again, it's a fungal problem, again, caused by the amount of moisture during July and August. It's done untold damage in the gardens. Um, so again, it's a case of good pruning. Um you don't prune the pears pear you sorry, you can prune the pears during the winter months as well um and even up into january february for pruning pears good air circulation again is the order of the day so remove crossing branches even if it leaves you with less branches that's fine you just want good good air circulation through the plant to 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 ensure a healthy tree and very finally, in under a minute, hello to Michael, uh, who has been busy this morning because he's put down bark mulch in his lawn. But he wants to know, uh, with Plantex and bark mulch he's put down, what plants would suit now he's living by the sea in Bantry? No way I could answer that question in less than a minute, I'm afraid, JP, because it, it depends whether you want shrubs or, or low-growing kind of flowering perennials or a hedge or ground cover, depending on what you want. A couple of plants that will certainly do well in um, in exposed conditions down by the sea, you could look at things like Aeliagnus, maybe ground cover roses. Uh, rosemary, the herb, is another good one. Uh, lo- there is loads, but really it's, it's, it's too general a question to, to, to hazard a, a, an answer. But again, maybe if he sends in a photograph, we could have a look at it for next week and come up with a couple of suggestions. Yeah, and he has, so we, we'll put that the next week as well. Uh, Peter, thanks for that, and we'll chat to you next uh, Wednesday again on the show. That is Peter Dunnell, theirishgardener.com, and you can find more from Peter on his website or indeed on his Insta or Facebook page under The Irish Gardener. Enjoy your Wednesday afternoon. My thanks to Bernie Murphy, who produced I'm John Paul McNamara. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.